And, uh, but uh, we're going to be talking about over the next 11 to 13 weeks on Wednesday nights, we're going to be talking about faith and how to develop strong faith and uh, talk about some of the things from the Bible that talk about having great faith, which I think is really awesome. And uh, I always, uh, I'm so grateful that I have a long period of time to dig into this with you all. Sharon and I are going to rotate. We're going to take time. She's got specific topics that she wants to deal with. I've got things that um, I want to address. I'm going to be dealing with, at the beginning of this, things that can hinder your faith that we need to deal with. And so I think that will be really helpful. Um, things that have helped me to be able to deal with. Uh, that have kind of been what I would call hindrances to my faith or blocks to my faith and uh, trusting God. And uh, so we'll dig into some of those things. And then Sharon's going to talk about some things with renewing the mind and uh, you and I being able to renew our mind, some ways that we can do that. So it's going to be a lot of fun. And uh, I know that uh, you can't be at all of the weeks that we do this, and that's okay. We're hoping that um, we're working on the process of being able to put notes up on the big screen uh, during the, these meetings when we're doing them, so you can kind of go along with me. Otherwise, you're going to need to use your Bible because we are going to look at several verses tonight, and I'm going to be writing some things down, so you'll want to take some notes, okay? Let's pray. Father, we come before you in the name of Jesus. We thank you, Lord God, that you're the great teacher, Lord. Um, we're just honored that we can gather around your word, the living word, uh, and receive the life that you have established for us. Lord, we, uh, tonight, as we come in your name, uh, Lord God, we just surrender ourselves to hear your voice, to be led by you and guided by you, and we thank you for that, Lord God. We thank you that, uh, Lord, that you divinely direct us through your word and by your Holy Spirit, that your Holy Spirit, Lord, will bring the truth to us, to show us the truth. And uh, I thank you for that, Father God. I thank you that... Uh, Lord God, that uh, you are working in our midst. And so, Lord, we believe that the information we will receive tonight, Lord, will be under divine inspiration that will lead to revelation in our lives to help us, Lord, that we would make application. And out of that application, Lord God, that we would have transformation, Lord God, uh, and be the kind of people that you've called us to be, not conformed to this world, but transformed by the renewing of our mind. And we give you praise and glory for it in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. All right, you can be seated. And uh, Ken, if you do me a favor and go grab my telephone out of my uh, office, it's sitting right on my conference table there. I appreciate that. You're not recording, right, Greg? Yes, you are recording. Never mind, Ken. Never mind. Sorry, I was going to record on my phone. So if you have your Bible, I want you to turn to Matthew chapter 8. There's two places Jesus uh, in the Gospels makes reference to having great faith. And uh, there's uh, some spots where he talks about having weak faith. And uh, so we know that faith can be at different levels in our lives, that, um, that we can have really strong faith, really great faith. We can be also at a point uh, in our lives where our faith uh, is weak. And so I wanted to look at these two passages, Matthew chapter 8, and uh, this is where Jesus is talking with the centurion, the centurion, about the centurion's servant. And in verse uh, 5, it says, Now when Jesus had entered Capernaum, a certain centurion came to him, pleading with him, saying, Lord, my servant is lying at home. He's paralyzed, and he is dreadfully tormented. And Jesus said to him, I will come, and I will heal him. The centurion answered and said, Lord, I am not worthy that you should come under my roof, but only speak a word, and my servant will be healed. 
For I am a, also a man under authority, having soldiers under me, under me. And I say to this one, go, and he goes, and to another, come, and he comes. And to my servant, do this, and he does it. And when Jesus heard it, he marveled, and he said to those who followed him, Assuredly, I say to you, I have not found such great faith, not even in Israel. And so we were to ask ourselves, what is the, the basis that Jesus is taught, saying, okay, this man has great faith. What would be the basis? What would he be judging that as being great faith? Well, he based it off of not just that the man said, just say the word, but the idea of authority, that he understood how authority operates, that he was respecting and saying that Jesus is one who has authority over these things and that all he has to do is say the word. And he actually, he believed that the one that has authority over these things, that can command these things to change, all he has to do, he doesn't have to be present for the miracle to happen. And so the basis of great faith in this is that understanding where authority applies to our faith and understanding how that authority works with our faith. Now, if you go over to the book of Matthew 15, 28, Jesus actually is talking to a woman here. And this woman is, she is wanting a miracle for her. Uh, she's wanting a miracle for her child. And uh, verse 21, uh, Jesus went out from there and departed the region of Tyre and Sidon. And behold, a woman of Canaan came from that region and cried out to him saying, have mercy on me, O Lord, son of David, my daughter is severely demon-possessed. But he answered her, not a word. And his disciples came, came and urged him, saying, Send her away, for she cries out after us. But he answered and said, I was not sent except to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. And then she came and worshipped him, saying, Lord, help me. But he answered and said, It is not good to take the children's bread and throw it to the little dogs. And she said, Yes, Lord, yet even the little dogs eat the crumbs which fall from their master's table. And Jesus answered and said to her, O woman, great is your faith. Let it be to you as you desire. And her daughter was healed from that very hour. So he said, great is your faith. Now, <clears throat> there's a lot of different things you could take from this. One is you could take that it was her persistence, that she didn't give up. She stayed persistent. Another would be that she humbled herself. I've heard people teach this, that she worshiped him. She called him, you know, she called him uh, the Lord uh, in this passage. And I think that the basis of the, the, the miracle that happens here is that idea that she, her great faith was based on, she realized she was at the master's table. She wasn't just at a healer's table. She said, at the master's table, there are even crumbs for the little dogs. And so she was, once again, reflecting back to the idea, just like the centurion, of authority, understanding the authority that has been, that is, that Jesus was operating under, understanding that, look, you're the one that can do this. I need you to do this for me. And so great faith is based on the, on the premise of understanding who is in authority. Great faith is based on the premise of understanding who is in authority. We talk about with faith that, and you've heard, if you've ever heard me teach on faith, I've said it a gazillion times. Faith begins where the will of God is known. It's once we understand the will, will of God, kingdom authority. When we understand 
what God's plan is, what God's thought is, then we understand the authority, then faith can rise up. Until we get to that point, we're going to struggle because we're going to wish and we're going to hope, but we don't really know until we understand what it is that the scriptures are saying, what it is that God has said in this particular situation. And when we know the will of God, then we know how to operate. We know what we can do. And so when we say that faith begins where the will of God is known is, is that we have to know the one in authority. We have to know what his will is. What is his desire? Remember in the book of Matthew, it tells us we are talking about the Lord's prayer that he talks there about that uh, in the prayer that we are to, that our prayer is to be on the basis of thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So God's plan is, is that the earth is reflecting the presence of heaven, that the earth is reflecting the presence of all the attributes of what God has established from heaven, what he wants for us. And so in heaven, God wants, there's healing. In heaven, there's health. And, you know, there's not sick people in heaven, right? I mean, that's, that's not there. There's not demon-possessed people in heaven. People that are in heaven, are they're, they're free. They're free from the encumbrances of the body. They're free from... They're free from death, free from age. They're free, all these things that the scripture talks about, that things that came to mankind when heaven and earth were separated under sin. You know, the sin that Adam committed separated man from God. And therefore now the principles of heaven were not operate. There were certain things that God had said that still were in operation. But the presence and the will of God being known on the earth to man now is all confused. The earth knows the will of God. The tree knows the will of God. The tree, absolutely, the tree knows the will of God. The tree knows that God said, as long as there is an earth, there will be seed time and there will be harvest. Every year, trees produce seeds, trees produce harvest, right? They're, whatever, they produce something. I've got big oaks out in my front yard. They produce acorns. They produce all the different, every year they go through the cycle. Now they're starting to throw off all that. It's harvest time. We call it a mess, but it's, a, <laughs> right, cleaning up the mess. But, it, but it's harvest time. It's the time of those things coming forth. So when we understand great faith, we understand that great faith is based on the premise of understanding authority and understanding that authority and the will and the plan of God for our lives. The way that you and I particularly do this is through the scripture. It's through God's word. And uh, so I want you to go over to 2 Timothy chapter 3 with me. 2 Timothy chapter 3. And uh, like I said, we're going to look at quite a few verses. 2 Timothy chapter 3. And we're going to take a look at um, verse 16. Now, you and I have, in our Christian, and if you've been a Christian for any period of time, you've dealt with somebody that tells you there are errors in the Bible, right? I mean, if somebody's going to tell you. Or is that really, you know, I always think it's interesting because when people say, well, that's not what God meant. Well, that's, that's what the devil said. I mean, that's what the devil told Adam. That's not what God meant. That's not what he was saying. So I think that we're the believer, where you and I as believers and understanding that authority, we have to work out some of our issues about those ideas of, are there errors in the scripture? Are there things that, 
we would consider, you know, is, is all the Bible inspired or is it not inspired? I mean, those are things we have to figure out. One of our core values of our ministry is, is that we believe that the scriptures are inspired. They're inspired by God. God, you know, everything that's in this Bible is true. And I'll talk to you a little bit more about that, breaking that down. But we believe all of it's true. I mean, every absolute part of it is true. So I want you to see this verse, verse 16. All Scripture, 2 Timothy 3, verse 16. All Scripture is given by inspiration of God. Now, some of you might have this in your notations in your Bible, but the word inspiration there means they're God-breathed. God made sure that he breathed into these things, that they would be set for us. All scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. And, and in one context, that's talking about that the preacher would definitely have you know, that he would be thoroughly equipped to be able to bring doctrine and teaching. But it also means for you and I that for every one of us, when it uses that reference to man of God, it could say woman of God, that we as God's people would be complete because of what the scriptures say. And that we would be thoroughly equipped or prepared. The word equipped in the, in the Greek language, you know, it's used in the Ephesians chapter 4 where it talks about that that the, the ministry gifts are for the equipping of the saints. The word equipped is a real interesting word in the Greek language because in the Greek, the, la the word equipped means to take a bone that is out of place and put it back into place. Another, play, another area where it talks about the word equipped is when it says that his men were mending their nets. The word equipped is actually, it's the same word that's used in mending, that they are putting back together something that is disjointed. So, you and I, to be complete, what, what the scriptures do to us is, is that it completes us. And what it does for you and I is, is that it causes us to be mended and put back in place. The scriptures show us who we are, what we have, and what we can do. Amen. Amen. The scriptures teach us who we are, what we have, and what we can do. You would not know. You would just be guessing, right? I mean, you'd just be hoping, wishing and a lot of Christians, that's how they view their relationship with God. They're hoping, wishing that somehow, some way, something's going to happen. They're pleading with God. You know, there's teachings out there that you've got to, you know, you've got to break down the gates of heaven to get to God. You've got to storm the gates. You've got to take everything by violence. You've got to do all these different things that are taught about. But when you know what the will of God is, what his declarations are to you and I, it puts us into place. It puts us into place. It mends us. It, it gives us a context for our lives. It shows us, you know, that, that life just isn't about making a lot of money and having a fun time. That life is about far more than that. It's about getting the gospel into the world. Life is about enjoying God and his presence in our lives on a daily basis. So all scripture is God-breathed. Every bit of it is God-breathed. We believe that as a church. It's all God-breathed. Now, where we get into problems is, is that we go, okay, so what about the errors that are in Scripture? Let's, uh, I think one of the things to, 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 uh, to be careful about here with is that just because we don't understand something doesn't mean it's an error, okay? 
Just because we don't understand something doesn't mean it's an error. We base our beliefs and our decisions in our lives off of the rules that we believe, off of our perceptions and our understanding. Would you all agree with that? We do. We base our lives. You know, our lives have dramatically changed since 2008. Do you know why they've changed since 2008? Because we got cell phones. We didn't just get phones. We got phones that you can do stuff on. So lives have changed. I mean, we've changed. It's changed dramatically. You do, right now, most of us do 20 times more things than we could do in 2008 in a day. 20 times more. I mean, we, we don't have to go to the library to look stuff up. We don't have to buy a set of encyclopedias. I feel bad for the encyclopedia salesman. His job is over, or her job is over. I mean, you can't sell. I mean, anything you want to know, you can find out. I mean, it's, so information is so readily available to us. Now, we had it with computers, but see, we're mobile people, and so we're not always at a computer. Now we don't even have to wait. You get your email. You're responding to stuff, bang, 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 text messages, bang, bang. You know, pastor wants to know what we need prayer for. We're constantly in this extreme flow. So what's happened is, is our perception about life has changed. And what that's done for you and I, and it, I don't, this is not a critical thing, it's just the truth is that we expect things a lot quicker today. Would you, would you agree with that? Let's look at, man, we are not into lines and waiting anymore. We want it, like, what's the holdup? Where's my stuff? Where's my information? You know, get it, get it, get in, get out, get on to the next thing. We're, we like things to go quickly now. And, uh, you know, it's like Jerry Savelle said, if somebody came up with the idea to create a restaurant called Tossa Burger, where you just go flying by at 55 and you toss your money in one basket and they throw a burger in your window and the other window as you're going by. He said that'd be a great success because we, we don't like to wait now. So we, we're definitely, you know, you go back to like, uh, you go back to, uh, let's say you go back uh, 50 years, all right? 50 years from today. People were a lot less anxious than they are today. See, because the, rapid, the rapidity of how we do things and how quickly we want things and how fast and how much we're engaged constantly, all that's done for you and I is it's upped our anxiety levels. <laughs> anxiety is one of the biggest medical situations people, doctors are dealing with today is people are just anxious because we're just always... Look, you can't... Okay, give you a great example of this. You sit down with your sweetie, and you're going to watch a, a show on Netflix. You get anxious because you keep going, you, you can't decide what to watch because you got too many choices. Wait, oh, that's good. Well, wait a minute. Maybe there's, well, wait. Well, I don't know. That, what do you think? That's the worst question to ask right there because, you know, that's just, so what do you do? You spend 10 to 15 minutes just cycling through stuff to make a decision. You know, when I was a kid, and I don't, you know, I'm not going to talk about walking through you know, a foot of snow one way and back the other to school. But, you know, when I was a kid, we had three TV stations. That was it. Sharon grew up with one. I mean, she, was, she lived in the country, man. I mean, they had one TV station. Huh? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I mean, it was, it was, it was absolutely, it was really crazy. I mean, it was just a wild deal, that, you know, for... 
the life that we lived and how we did things. We didn't sit in front of the TV all day because I didn't watch soap operas. I mean, and that's all that was on. And so, you know, in the afternoons, I mean, so their choices were, were, a, lot, uh, were a lot more minimal as we were growing up. But now anxiety levels are super high because, you know, I, I don't, I don't want to know, but how many channels do you have to choose from right now? Right. So, you know, they're all excited about this. I even noticed at WAQP, you know, they got, they got 10 choices now just with WAQP. 10 choices. Now, two of them, they haven't decided what they're going to put on. But if you get an over-the-air antenna, you get 10 choices for one channel. You can watch, you can watch all kinds. Of, you can watch Grit, old cowboy shows. I mean, you can watch whatever. So what's that doing to people? It's creating a mindset in our life. So the way we perceive life, how we look at things, how we want things, we want things quick, we want them to show up quick, we want things to be done quick. And so our perception has definitely changed because of that. Greg, you must have signed me out of my account. Whatever you're doing up there. Sorry. Okay. Oh boy, that's another thing that creates, what a great example, right? Go to Peter with me. Greg, whatever you've done up there has blocked me out of my account. Second Peter. Second Peter. Uh, and I want you in chapter 1, please. Second Peter chapter 1. Now, he talks about here about the Word and how that the Word of God is prophetic to you and I. And he talks about that the Scriptures. And so he says in verse 20, he says, Know this, knowing this, that no prophecy of Scripture is of any private interpretation. For prophecy never came by the will of man, but holy men of God spoke as they were moved by the Holy Spirit. Now, we talk about how it's this, this topic of, I shared a little bit of this Sunday with you, the veracity of Scripture, the veracity of Scripture. And what does that mean, that it is the veracity of Scripture? What it means for you and I is, is that all of the Bible is inspired and all of the Bible is true. But that does not mean, see, don't, don't add to this, that does not mean that all of it is truth. It's just all true. And it's all inspired. You know, God, when he inspired man to write the scripture, when he inspired men to put these things down, he had to have them, he couldn't tell, he couldn't have them change the story to fit his narrative. That would be lying, wouldn't it? I mean, that would be God basically saying, okay, well, I want you to tell this story, but I want you to tell it from my point of view, not from what really happened. So what did he have to do? God inspired man in the writing, in the scripture. He breathed into man to write the scripture, to put down exactly what happened, exactly what was said. Exactly. But that does not mean that everything that was said is the truth. 
And so we use a couple of different examples, and you can write these down, look at them later. But in Job, Job makes a statement that he says, the Lord gives and the Lord takes away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. All right. So when we look at the context of what's happening there, we see behind the scenes stuff that's going on and that it's really not God that's taking things away from Job, but it's actually that Satan is taking things away from Job. That Satan is the one that is the destroyer, not God. God isn't going, okay, I want to mess Job up, so Satan, you go do what I want done. So what, he, what we see from in looking at the first three chapters of the, of the book of, of uh, Job is we see that Job is in his operation, that Job's perception about everything that's going on around him is that God is doing this. And that fits into the Hebrew narrative. The Hebrew narrative would not have been to even understand that there was, how Satan even worked because that wasn't part of their religious understanding. They, under, they thought God did everything. Everything. And so remember that when Jesus come, he comes, excuse me, Jesus brings out in the open the truth. He tells everybody, look, he shows you that it's not God that's doing everything. Because see, if, if we don't figure out a way to work through this idea, we get into trouble because you're going to get up into verses that say that every good and perfect gift comes from above, from the Father of lights in whose there is no variableness or shadow of turning. All right, how can you believe that and believe God kills babies? And you cannot say to a mom and a dad that, look, it's a good thing that God killed your baby because he's a good God. But there's all, whole teachings that try to get people to think, well, you know, we, we, because, you know, God is sovereign and God's doing all these things. What God has created his, what God has implied and imparted his sovereignty to is his authority, his sovereignty is into the kingdom, which is based off of his word. It's based off of his word. And so what you and I, what we have to learn and what we have to come to understanding about is, is the power of his word and how his word works. So when we talk about looking at our scriptures, you know, we, we start reading something and we go, oh my gosh, you know, the Lord you know, like somebody asked me one time, it says that God sent an evil spirit to Saul. Oh, pastor, God sends evil. Could he send an evil spirit to me? Could I get an evil spirit from this? Could I? Well, see, here's where the believer needs to rightly do what the tells us in 2 Timothy 2.15 is to rightly divide the truth. Now, if you're writing these notes down, I want you to write that idea down, rightly Divide the truth. That's out of 2 Timothy 2.15. I'm going to write on the board here. This is really cool. Rightly, this is out of the King James Version. Rightly divide the truth. Greg, have you fixed something? Because my notes are gone. All right. Rightly divide the truth. Now, to divide... In the Greek language, this word does not mean like, you know, like where you take sheep and goats and you divide them, okay? So we're not saying this is bad and this is good, okay? That's not what it is. In fact, the word divide here is a, um, what the Greeks, it would say, and, um, it's a, a civil engineering term that they use. 
And what they're talking about is, is that when they say divide, it means to clear the way. Okay? To clear the way. So it's not about taking something and that we're moving, you know, we're saying bad, false, not true, this is true. What we're doing is we're clearing the way. You cannot clear the way. Larry was in, is a civil engineer. You don't just start putting laying down road without a plan of where you want to get to. Right. Is that right, Larry? Right. All right, so if you're a civil engineer and you're going to put a road down, you're going to design a, to get from, you say, okay, we have a master plan here, and that is to get from point A to point B. Now we're going to put a road, but is the road, is it going to be easy to lay the road? No, we've got to clear a path. That's what this means, rightly divide. Did you get me in? Thanks, son. Rightly divide. Thank God for good tech help. Amen? Amen. Yeah. My anxiety levels just dropped a little bit. Thank God. Yeah. So you have to clear the way. So you've probably seen this happen. They've they got to clear, you know, trees and stumps, and they've got to figure out, you know, is it, what's the best possible way to get there? You get down like, you know, here in Michigan, it's relatively easy because everything goes north, south, east, and west. If you get down in Marietta, where we lived for 10 years, where I lived for 10 years, she lived most of her life, nothing is north, south, east, and west. It's as the crow flies. So if you go west as the crow flies, now that's okay because there's nothing in the way for the crow to get there, okay? But for you and I, I mean... Something that could be like only five miles away if, as the crow flies is 50 miles away as you drive, right? Yeah, down the holler, all the way around side of the mountain, got to cross over here, and then there's a creek down there, and you got to go through the holler and on and on and on. So this engineering term means to clear the way to get to the destination. So when he's saying, all right, the man of God, if you, if you have 2 Timothy there, 2 Timothy 2.15 in your Bibles. All right. So it tells us in the King James Version, it says, study to show yourself approved unto God. New King James says, be diligent to show yourself approved unto God. A workman that doesn't need to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. So it's not saying getting rid of truth because it's still true. It's just not the truth truth all right it's true but it's not i know that in, and that can sound a little confusing but really if you if you put it into context of what we deal with in life there are people that will try to tell us things are truth and they're only true they're not truth it's not it's not factual it's not there's all i mean we live in not only do we live in an information age we live in a disinformation age too right so we have all kinds of false narratives that are going on and things that are being said. And there may be a measure of something true in that statement that's made, you know, but the truth, the truth that we need to hear uh, sometimes is masked by all this other stuff that's around what's true. You know, I, and, and look, I'm not, I'm not against the COVID vaccine. Uh, I'm not preaching it, but if you went by things that you hear on the radio and on TV, you would think that it is the truth that you will die if you get COVID. 
Now, we have a lot of people in this church that have had COVID, and they didn't die. Have there been people that did die? Yeah, there have been people that have died from it, absolutely. But you can't, you can't take something that, is, that, that people are saying is true and make it into a truth because it is only the truth that Jesus said would make us free, not what is true would make us free. Right. And it's your responsibility to find out the truth. Yeah. It's your responsibility. It's my responsibility to... He said, look, don't be a work. Well, that's what we paid the pastor to do is to tell us the truth. Well, I'll help you discover the truth. But look, I can't, I can't make you believe the truth. You have to do the work to believe the truth. So you have to do the digging. So when we talk about saying that we live, you know, we're dealing with this all the time. We've got, peop, we've got things that are going on right now in our world that are just trying to convince us that the minute we get the virus, we're going to kill all our family, and we're going to kill all our children, and we're going to kill our grandparents, and we're going to kill ourselves because of the virus. Now, is it real? Yes. Do people die from it? Yes. Should we be confidently cautious? Absolutely. We should be in faith, not in fear. If you go by the information that's going out, you're going to be in total fear. And truthfully, if, as, if we're not a Christian, the vaccine will be our only hope. You know, if we're not a Christian in the idea of that we're going to use our faith and believe God that no, you know, no plague or calamity is going to come nigh my dwelling. And if it does, it can't stay. Can I get a better amen? amen? You know, it could try to get in, but if it does, it's not staying. I'm going to overcome it. So when we, when we, when we build our lives around that kind of idea, we're growing into truth. And so we have to divide out what is the truth and what is true. Job said, God's taken everything away from me. But we know that there was more going on there than, than what Job saw happening. And so even though what he said was true, you cannot build truth off of what is true, that somebody said something or somebody did something. It's still inspired because God would have to put it, God would have to breathe that and make it be exactly what happened. He can't. God's not going to change the narrative, the, what's said, to try to fit his narrative so that you go, so that, you, you know, that, he's just not going to do that because the minute that God starts violating his own principles, he ceases to exist. He can't, God cannot, he's not a man that he can lie. Can you say amen to that? So he's not going to make up stuff. He's not going to change it to fit, say, well, what was really happening here? He expects you and I to get into his word and to find out what's really happening here, what's really going on here, what really was being said here. You know, when you dig in, like I, I'll get into this in a couple of weeks, but, you know, does God cause evil things to happen? All right, so we'll dig into this. But if you do the old, if you study the Old Testament and you really dig into it and you dig into, you get a hold of some of the scholars who know way more than I knew, know guys like Robert Young, who wrote actually in his, uh, in his um, concordance, he has pages that are written there about the permissive tense and how that, we, how that, that, the, that the Hebrews, are, in English, we don't have a permissive tense, but the Hebrews had a permissive tense. You know, they, we have past, present, future tense, all those kinds of tenses that we use. When, when it says that... Um, for example, in the book of uh, Exodus 15, 26, it says, and uh, I will put none of these diseases upon you which have come upon 
which I have put upon the Egyptians. You would think that God can be, God's put the diseases on the Egyptians and he can put the diseases on us if we don't do what he says to do. If you look at that as it is written in the Hebrew language and dig into it, what you find out is that the permissive tense that the Jews held to would have said, I will permit none of these diseases. That changes everything. That changes the whole context of that verse because now you're looking at it in the permissive sense that, look, God's saying, I will not permit these things to come upon you. I will not permit them to happen to you as you follow after me and as you do these things. That's a way different scenario than God is just picking and choosing. You got folks today that, you know, like I said, when we move into that idea of God's sovereignty and we start saying, well, you know, the Lord gives, he takes away. It's almost like we're talking about a schizophrenic God who can't make up his mind that he likes some people, but he doesn't like other people. He might give you a disease, but he's not going to give someone else. And so you need to, and we got people saying, well, you need to praise the Lord when you get cancer. You don't praise the Lord when you get cancer. You curse the cancer and tell it to get out of your body because it doesn't belong there because you're a child of God and that you've been, look, it's not God's test on your life to try to make you more spiritual. It's an attack against your body. Now, we can talk about all the ways that maybe we even invite those kinds of attacks. Those definitely are possibilities. But, but, but the, what we re- have to recognize in this is God is not double-minded. They accused Jesus in one place. They said that he was casting out devils because he's the king of the devils. That's what they told him. They said, you're casting out devils because you're the, you're, you're the leader of all the demons. And this is what he said. And this is something for you to be thinking about in this context tonight. Jesus' response to them was that that is a kingdom that is divided then. Because I'm doing good and doing bad at the same time. And he says, that's a divided kingdom. And a divided kingdom, he said, cannot stand. God's a good God. God's a good God, the devil's a bad devil. He's a mean devil, tries to destroy, kill, steal, and Jesus said it. You know, so in understanding how that the, the Hebrew mindset and some of our writings in our scriptures, the way that they're written, it doesn't mean that, well, that's false. No, that's, that's, that's what happened. That's what was said. That's what took place. But I know through understanding of the word that what really is happening here is, is that the devil is the destroyer. Jesus said the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. Nowhere did he ever talk about God the Father killing, stealing, or destroying. And no one, and this is according to John chapter 1, and uh, I think it's uh, John, uh, no, John 7, ah, it's John chapter 1, verse 12, I think it is. And it says there that No one knew the Father. No one knew what God was really like. No one knew what God was really like until Jesus came and he brought him out in the open for everybody to see. Jesus is the person, he is God and is the personification of who God is. He is. In fact, it's really cool because if you dig into this a little bit, you start looking at, you know, that John chapter 1 says that in the beginning was the Word and the Word was God and that Jesus is the Word that was with God, that He has always been and always has been. Jesus is the perfect personification of the will of God because He is God. 
100%. Jesus is not half God, half man. He's not all God and no man. He is all God, all man. It's called the the hypostatic union. Thank you. So in understanding that hypostatic union of all God, all man, he is showing, he has shown us what it is for a man or a woman to function in this kingdom, this earthly kingdom, with the perfect will of the Father being applied to his life in every situation, in every circumstance. So Jesus healed the sick, he cleansed the lepers, he cast, he did, he cast out demons. He never said, no, God gave you that demon, and so you need to have that. You know, I, I, I want you. He never, he never, he cursed the fig tree because, and I don't have time, we'll get into this on another night, but he cursed a fig tree because the fig tree was totally out of order and not doing what it was created to do. And uh, he cursed it, but he never cursed an individual, never cursed a human. Never gave anybody blind, you know, never made anybody have cancer. There were people that turned against the things of the Spirit, and they ended up dying. And there are people in the book of Acts that turned against God and ended up being out from under the covenant of God and had all kinds of issues. But people that followed God, they didn't have those kinds of problems. Are you all here? So I hope this isn't too deep. I mean, it is Wednesday night, you know, I mean... And I think why this changed my life so much was when um, I actually was in a meeting with Buddy Harrison. And uh, Buddy Harrison was uh, Dr. Hagen's son-in-law, Kenneth Hagen's son-in-law. And he taught about this. And it, it changed my whole perception. Because I, I really, I think that when we're believing God, other things that we believe can get in the way of our faith. You know, when I grew up as a kid, I grew up in Akron, Ohio, and, you know, that's where Ernest Angeli is, okay? And Catherine Kuhlman was on the radio every week. And, I mean, you know, Oral Roberts was still pretty big when I was a kid. And, I mean, these guys are on the radio. They're on television. And my mom, she did not believe in healing. She just didn't believe in all the healing stuff. She just thought it was all fakery is what she thought. She had developed, for whatever reason, in her life that it was all fake. And so, as a child, my mother told me, she said, it's not real. She said, you'll see people that, that were in wheelchairs get up, and if you look at the bottom of their shoes, their, the bottom of their feet are scuffed. And so that means that, you know, they're... But the, she believed in God. I mean, it wasn't like, you know, she was a non-believer. She was a believer, but she did not believe that part of it. And she would mock, you know, Ernest Angley, and she would mock Rex Humbard was in our town. I mean, we had all these people, and Catherine Kuhlman comes through, and my mom's like, it's all fake. It's all not real. It doesn't happen. Because I talked to her about healing one time, and she just said, no, I don't, I don't believe any of that. Well, that sowed a seed into my life. Years later, Sharon and I are in uh, Houston, Texas, at a meeting that uh, John Osteen is preaching. And Brother Osteen, I saw this woman come in. And she was a redheaded woman. She was a quite large woman. She was in a wheelchair. And she was wheeled into the building by her husband, and during the meeting that night, she, uh, at the end, they had prayed for the sick. They did a general prayer, basically. I think T.O. Osborne preached, didn't he? And T.O. Osborne was preaching, and so he had done his general prayer that he does. And T.L. came out and actually was walking through the crowd, which was pretty amazing. And 
they started saying, has anybody here received a miracle tonight that'd like to share about it? And I look up on the stage and there's that woman that I saw in the wheelchair, this, this, this large redheaded woman, and she's dancing up on the stage. And you know what the thought that came to me was is that she was faking. She was faking. Because in, now, have there ever been fakers? Well, sure there have been fakers. See, that's true, right? right. But that's not truth. That's not truth. And so this woman, she goes to the microphone and she says, I came here tonight, I have multiple sclerosis, I'm unable to walk. She said, God touched my spine, my back, my legs, my hips, I've been totally healed. And Brother Osteen says, well, run across the stage. She runs across. He says, could you do that before? She said, no way, I came in here tonight in a wheelchair. Well, I saw that happen. But in my mind, in my mind, all I could hear was Mama saying, it's not real. So see, even when real things are happening, when we've had doubt sown into our lives, it can affect our faith. It's hard to have great faith when we have things that are in there that are basically impeding our faith or blocking our faith or our belief or that are coming up. And so what we have to do is, is that we have to resolve those issues. And I, I talked to Sharon about it that night. And I mean, I was struggling with it. And the Lord, then I heard the Lord talk to me. He started speaking to me. And he said, look, she received a miracle. She received a miracle here tonight, and you're not celebrating with her because of something that your mom said. What your mom said does happen, but that does not change the truth just because that happens. It's like when people make statements like, all preachers are crooks. Have you ever known anybody say that? Oh, it's offering time. Here we go. Yep, pad in his pocket again. Are there guys that do that? Gals, that, women that... <laughs> There's tons of them, but it doesn't change the truth just because something is true. It's true. And what we've got to be careful of is, is that we don't, want let is what, we don't allow what has become true to us to begin to circumvent what is the truth in our lives. What is the truth? That's why we have got to, like civil engineers, we've got to clear the way we've got to we've got to clear the way so we can get to the destination so whatever that is that you're believing for in your life that's your destination now you have to clear the way you have to rightly divide you have to get to the truth in that situation you have to know because it's remember jesus said and you will know the truth and the truth shall make you free the truth will get you where you want to go. But you have to do the clearing away. Now, how does God clear the way in our lives? He does that by speaking to our lives, by revealing himself to us in his word. I want to read a couple other translations of this, 2 Timothy 2.15 to you. This is out of the Lexham English Bible. It says, make every effort to present yourself approved to God, a worker having no need to be ashamed, guiding the word of truth along a straight path. There it is. There's our idea, clearing the way along a straight path. Amplified version says this. Study 
and be eager and do your utmost to present yourself to God, approved, tested by trial, a workman who has no cause to be ashamed, correctly analyzing and accurately dividing, rightly handling and skillfully teaching the word of truth. We said it like this. Bend your every effort to present yourself to God, approved, a workman, unashamed, expounding soundly the word of truth, the word of truth. The attack that the enemy really has brought against God's people, especially over the, and this is just going to be true over the years, is to get the Bible out of your hands. I mean, truthfully, that is, in all honesty, if you go, if you do historical study on the church, everything has been about to get the Bible out of people's hands, the common people now. So, you had things that were going on in the church. You know, when it started out, the word was for everybody. And it was an oral tradition where they would get up and talk. And then Mark started writing down the, the thoughts that he had about, that he was receiving about the gospel, which he would have gotten from Peter. They believe Mark's gospel is Peter's gospel, really, because, you know, Mark wasn't really one of the guys that was with Jesus. He, he was with Peter. And so Peter would have told him all of this, the narratives, and he would have wrote them down. And Luke, that Luke wrote down the things that Paul told him, that by the Holy Spirit, that, you know, the, the, the revealing of the Gospels and who God is and what he has and what he's willing to do. And Luke was a physician, so he took a lot more time to explain in detail than maybe Mark did. You know, Mark's 16 chapters, what's Luke? 24, I think, uh, 24 chapters. Um, and they didn't write in chapters. You know, we added all that stuff. We even added the verses. That's not original. It was just all one letter before. So you have these, these different ones that are bringing these different revelations, these different ideas out, and these different teachings that they're bringing out to show us, to, to, to make clear to us of who God is, what God has, and what God will do. And the reason for that is because that is the principle of transformation. When you know... The principle of transformation is when you know who God is, what God has, and what God will do, you now know who you are, what you have, and what you can do. And until we know what we can do, until we know, we can't know what we can do till we know what we have, and we cannot know what we have till we know who we are. So the enemy wants to, you know, this has been the plan is to get the word, to attack of the word. Genesis chapter 1, 2, 3, Satan attacks the word. God didn't say that. That's not the truth. So try to get the word out of the hearts of men. So, you know, as, as the church progressed from that early church where everybody was receiving the word, it went into kind of these difficult days where the word was covered. It was basically said, you know, the scriptures are too hard for you to understand and a lot of people still believe that today. And so you just need to let your preacher be the one. In fact, they made it so hard, they actually took the language of the Bible and put it in Latin so that nobody could actually, that unless you knew Latin and you had to be higher educated to know Latin, and nobody would know how to read the scriptures even. They would even, all the things, they just, you know, kept it away from people. So the guy that baked bread couldn't know the Bible. He could only know the Bible through the guy that knew how to read the Bible. Martin Luther comes along and he says, I'm changing this. And he just upheaves the whole thing. He says, no, I'm going to translate from Latin into German. And so every German can read. And I'm going to put it in a language that people can understand 
what the scriptures are. Because, and that's when all of a sudden revival breaks out, right? I mean, under the Lutherans, I mean, powerful, powerful revival breaks out because Martin Luther, and I mean, they, they were going to kill him for, I mean, they wanted him dead for doing this. Because see, the devil does not want the word in the hands of people. Because when you know who you are and when you know what you have and when you know what you can do, all of a sudden you're able to begin to walk in the authority of what the word says and have great faith. And have great faith. And so the pushback that you constantly deal with is those kinds of thoughts that, well, the Bible's just, you know, it's just too, it's too hard to understand. And well, my pastor will tell me what to believe. And it was never intended. Your pastor is not supposed to tell you what to believe. Your pastor is supposed to help you clear the way to the truth. So you say, well, I don't agree with some of the things you said. I don't care. It's okay. And when I say I don't care, I mean it's okay. I'm not right about everything I say. I'm not. I know I'm not. But I strive to be right about everything I say. And if I do say something wrong, I do go back and correct it. But here's, here's the thing. You don't put your trust in men. You put your trust in God. It's the Holy Spirit that reveals the truth. It is not the pastor that reveals the truth. You need your Bible. Your Bible should be your closest ally in your life that you go to, you resource it in your life, you look at the passages. I mean, I don't know how many of you will do this. You know, maybe some of you will, maybe some of you won't, but would go home tonight or tomorrow or the, over the weekend and get those verses out and start looking at them and trying to say, okay, he said this. Now, is that what that really says? Is that, is that how to apply that? Is that how that really works? Lord, show me, show me. I've been in some things where I was like, man, I tell you what, this just doesn't, to me, I, I don't get this. And I went home and I said, Lord, I need you to show me how this works and how this applies. And the Lord would show me and he would open up my mind, my heart to what his truth was in that. I've had other things that I thought were right and the Lord said, that ain't right. He didn't say ain't, but he said that isn't right. Okay. That's, that is not right. Your doctrine is not right, son. You need to change, you need to straighten that out. Amen. Because what happens whenever you and I, we get to this place where we have gotten to the truth, the truth, at that point, the veracity, now we know. It's not just that we hope. It's not we're guessing. It's the, it's the truth. And when we know that, it makes us free. You know, there are things that you know, there are truths that you hold in your life all the time, don't even think about it. One is your name, right? I mean, if I walked up to Mike and called him Bob, he might be nice to me, but he'd say, it's Mike, right? Because why? Because Mike knows who he is. Right. He knows where he lives. He knows what he has. He knows what he, you remember what you drove in, in tonight, right? Right? So you know what you have. You know when you go home tonight that you're going to pull in your driveway. You know how to get to your house. You're going to pull in your driveway. You're going to go up to the door or open the garage door. You're not going to think twice about it because you know, because it is truth to you. That is true. It's not truth to me. I mean, I could be a pretender and say, oh, I'm Mike. I could drive up. To, I could figure out where your house is and drive up and, you know, get shot by your wife saying, you're not Mike. Get out of here, Right. So see, but, but he knows the truth. You know that truth too. If you have a million dollars in the bank, 
you know the truth that that's your million dollars. It is not the bank's million dollars. And so if you want to go down to the bank and you want to take your million dollars out of the bank, you're going to tell them, I want to take my million dollars out. Now, they may say, we need some time to get that kind of money together. We don't keep that amount of money here, but we can get it. It's yours. You don't go home and go, oh, 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 I just hope, honey, I hope. I just hope that I get my million dollars. I just, uh, I don't know. I mean, they didn't give it to me when I asked for it right away, and I don't know, and I just, I hope that... uh, I, you know, I know it's there, and I know, but I don't know. Gosh, I hope that I don't have it in my hands, and I can't see it right now. And boy, I just really, oh, I don't know. I just, I, I want to believe, but I'm just really struck. No, man, that's just crazy. You wouldn't think like that. You would be like, no, they said they'd have it here Friday. I'm going down and get my money Friday. See, when you start believing that God's provision is like that for you? You go to Philippians chapter 4, and it tells you right in Philippians chapter 4 that you have an account in heaven that is fully supplied because of the things that you do here on earth. Fully supplied. And that you can draw from that account. You go to Philippians 4 and look it up. We have healing that's already been made provided for us. You know, people say, well, I'm just asking God to heal me. Look, you don't have to ask God to heal you. I don't know. See, that's, a, that's, that's something that's true. People did ask to be healed, but that is not truth because truth, the truth is, is, is that in the sacrifice of Christ, right. he has provided healing for you and I. Right. So it's not that I need to say, look at how it changes the context. It's not that I'm saying, Lord, I'm asking you to heal me. What I'm saying is I am receiving yes. the healing you have provided for me. How does that change anything for you and I when we think of it in that context? I'm not pleading with God to save me. I'm receiving the salvation he has provided for me. I only know those things because I know who he is, what he has, and what he'll do, which has changed everything about what I believe about myself and what I have and what I can do. Stand up with me if you would. Amen. Thank you, Father God. Lord, um, as we come before you tonight, Lord, we know that in and of ourselves, we don't have all the answers. We know that. But Lord, we know that it is your truth. And you said that your Holy Spirit would guide us into all truth. Into all truth. You would steer us, make the way, clear the way, for us to get to the, to the truth. So, Lord, I just I pray for every person here, Lord God, if there are any things that are in the way right now. You said, Lord God, that when we uh, are believing, that we are to say to the mountain, this thing that's in the way, be removed, be cast into the sea, and not doubt in our heart, but believe the things that we're saying would come to pass and we would have whatever it is that we're saying. So, Lord God, in our lives, help us, Lord, as we strive to know the truth, that we are speaking that truth. And, Lord, as we speak that truth, Lord God, that, Father God, that, that, at faith, that great faith is rising up in our hearts, Lord. And we just thank you for that. 
in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. Now, I just started so on what I wanted to get into, so next week, I'll do next week too, and then you can have the third week, okay? So we'll, be, we'll finish this part 